and welcome to the Famous Five podcast, in which we share with you a Famous Five adventure written by Enid Blyton. Today's book is Five Have a Wonderful Time. If you haven't read the book and you don't want to be subject to spoilers, please turn off now. And come back when you've read it. Hello. Hi. How are you? How's your month been? It's been a incredibly busy and exciting month. Guess what, Jen? Oh my gosh, what? I'm having a little girl. <gasps> oh my goodness! That's really exciting. You must have found that out this month at your second scan. Well, you'd think I would have found it out of my second scan, but we actually had to have a third scan because during the second one, she was not cooperating. Oh. Can't imagine who she takes after. Yes, I think so. Me neither. Hmm. Surely not you. No, can't be. You're so good. You're you're an Anne in this world. (laughs) Nobody has ever described me as an Anne. Well, for our listeners, I'd like to say you... Katie Ann, I don't know why your daughter would be so naughty. No, can't think. How about you? How's your month? It's been great because a fun thing I did this month was come and visit you. Absolutely. Gosh, we had a good time. We did. It feels like a hundred years ago already though, which is a shame. It is, but we did have lots of adventures. We went up to York. Yeah. We stayed in a field with the fair folk. We met the rubber man. No, that's not us. That's the famous five. You're getting (laughs) us mixed up. Oh, okay. Sorry. It was all the talk of you being Anne. We had afternoon tea with my mum. Mmm, it was my first afternoon tea ever and it was brilliant. Little sandwiches and just so much cake. Little sandwiches are the best. They are. Yes, we did lots of exciting things. Yeah, a wonderful trip all round. And it was the last time I would ever visit you before you knew that you were having a little girl because you had the scan the day after I left. That's right. It was still a mystery. Historical visit. Mm. Shall we talk about the famous five? Let's. More specifically, book 11, Five Have a Wonderful Time. Yes, Five Have a Wonderful Time, which is a title which for me is neither here nor there. I think that most of the famous five books have titles that are easily confused with the other ones, such as Go Adventuring Again, Run Away Together, Fall Into Adventure. But this is the... This one, I don't know. I thought this this title was lacking something. And then when I read the book, the book was a bit weird too. Enjoyable, obviously, but not not the same as the other books. The thing about Five Have a Wonderful Time is it's so non-specific that it could be the title of any of the other books in the series. Yes. So I see number 20 is called Five Have a Mystery to Solve, which could actually be the name of any of the books. Exactly. All so of the it's books. a strange choice for a hmm. strange adventure. So I'll read the back of my book, which says... George has joined her cousins for an exciting caravanning holiday where there's a ruined castle on top of a hill nearby. Keen to explore it, the five make plans to visit, but when they spot a desperate face in the tower window, they know there's a mystery to solve. Who is hiding inside the castle, and why? Ooh! Mine says, 
The famous five, Julian, Dick, George, Anne and Timmy the dog. Their 11th thrilling adventure. The five's holiday begins peacefully enough on a camping site where they are staying in two old gypsy caravans. But things start to happen when the fair folk arrive. Ruined Fay Knight's castle also proves a great attraction to the five, particularly when they see a face at the tower window. And there is no way up to the tower. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. Except there is a way up to the tower. I also like as well how it says Knight's Castle proves a great attraction to the five, but actually they put off going to see it for quite a while. And Dix only sees the face at the window because he's looking at Jackdaws. Yeah, they're not that interested in the castle at all. No, they're not. And then it turns out to be the centre of their adventure. So, Hmm. whoa, strange things happen. Shall we dive into chapter one? Let's. Okay. In chapter one, George went bathing in April and caught a cold. Her cousins are off on a caravan holiday, but she's not with them. But Aunt Fanny says that she can go tomorrow if she's good and doesn't cough. The others are in a field by Fay Knight's castle. Uncle Quentin is being a pain. Surprise. So I've written on this note that Aunt Fanny is my mum because she said, well, Uncle Quentin's saying that, oh, they're not staying in a castle then, said George's father. Can't have that. I won't have George coming home all high and mighty. George couldn't possibly be high and mighty, said his wife. It's as much as I can do to keep her nails clean and wear clean jeans. Do be sensible. And that was essentially, from a very young age, my mum. <laughs> you know, your mum does that thing. I don't know if your mum used to. When you've got dirty nails, of putting her nail under your nail to get the dirt out. Oh, my mum used to do that all the time. That, I, that sounds horrible. I don't like the idea of that. But that wasn't ever done to me because I didn't have dirty nails. Oh, rubbish. Did you have clean jeans? No, but I um I was a little bit not really germ phobic, but I used to get like very upset about like dirt. <laughs> and to this day, I still don't like watching babies eat because it's really messy. It makes me feel kind of sick, and it was the same with that kind of thing. Also, I've always been kind of like obsessed with my nails. Like I pick at them, um, if I. Not even if I'm bored, just out of habit. So I think I, I would always take the dirt out from under my own. Okay, fair dues. George writes to Julian and she packs. That evening, the phone rings. It's Julian. Apparently two scientists have gone missing and he wanted to check that Uncle Quentin was okay. George thinks it's just two more disloyal scientists off to tell secrets. So they don't actually mention this in the book, but I'm assuming the place that they're going to tell the secrets is Russia. That was what was going on at the time, wasn't it? Oh, um, I didn't really think about it because they say that they're going to cross the channel and I was like, oh, great, they'll take them to France. The end, bye. <laughs> I always got the impression that it was kind of the, the post-World War Two issue between the East and the West. I don't know. I just, I assumed it was Russia. Yeah, I mean, Russia would make sense for that time. In Chapter 2... It's the next morning at the caravans. Julian and Dick goes to Anne's caravan for breakfast. Dick drops a hot egg and Anne tells him off. I um, noticed a little thing here, actually, while Anne's making the eggs. And 
Gillian and Dick go into the caravan and Anne says, I can't look round, I'm timing them by my watch. One minute more to go. Gillian says, the postman has just brought a card from George. She says her tail and Timmy's are both well up. I'm glad she's coming at last. And old Timmy too. We'll all go meet her, said Anne, still with her eyes on her watch. 20 seconds more. So Julian's sentence took 40 seconds. And I'll just say it again. And I'm not going to... Oh, I can't watch the timer and read. Okay, could you just count how many seconds this takes? Because I'm really interested in how Julian delivered this sentence. So go. The postman has just brought a card from George. She says her tail and Timmy's are both well up. I'm glad she's coming at last. And old Timmy too. How many seconds did that line take me? Only about ten. So, a conclusion I'm looking to draw here is that Julian's delivery is something along the lines of the... <laughs> I can't even do it without laughing. The postman. Yeah, because we all know Julian's part whale. <laughs> oh, well, that makes so much more sense now. They eat breakfast outside, looking at the old ruined castle. Only one of its towers is still intact, and it's full of jackdaws. It's 5p to visit, and they agree to go when George and Timmy are there. Anne tidies and cleans, and they set off to collect George and Timmy. They meet at the station and go for ice cream. George has brought her new field glasses that were a present. The lady in the shop says that the fair folk are on their way to camp in the same field. I like how specific Julian is about ice cream flavours. Actually, all of this. So they go to the shop and George hasn't been there before. And uh, she's saying, how much further is this ice cream shop? In the dairy here, said Julian, marching her in. <laughs> I love that he marches her in. <laughs> and I advise you to start off with vanilla, go on to strawberry and finish up with chocolate. You do have good ideas, said George. Um, I, Everything about that I like. He's marching her into the ice cream shop because ice cream is important. I identify with that. I understand. And his... um. Advice of order of flavours is great. That's probably the order I'd eat them in too. So well done. And that's good of him to share that info with his cousin who maybe wouldn't be quite so much an ice cream connoisseur as Mr. Julian. And just to show how different you and I were, it's the complete opposite way that I would eat them, I think. I would go strawberry first because I don't really like it. Then I'd go chocolate. Then I'd go vanilla. Vanilla first because it's the most boring. Strawberry because it's great. But not as great as chocolate, so always chocolate last. Yep, and vanilla is my favourite flavour, so yeah. Well, me and Julian. Julian! <laughs> oh, you're changing your tune. Well, actually, later on in the book, I got a bit irritated with him. But when it's about ice cream, I, I get along very well with Julian. Okay, good. In chapter three, they find that amongst the fair folk is a fire eater, a man who can escape ropes. Mr. India Rubber, a man with snakes and others. I put a note in here when the shopwoman tells them who's going to be there and she says about the fire eater and Anne says, who else is there to be? And the lady says, well, there's a man who can get himself free in under two minutes, no matter how tightly he's tied up with rope. And there's a man called Mr. India Rubber because he can bend himself anywhere and wriggle through drain pipes and get in a window if it's left open, open just to crack. And I put a big note in there and I wrote villains because that was my prediction for how the story would go. And as we're about to find out, I was really wrong. And I apologise. I'm sorry, fair folk. Just because you have great skills, which 
George does even say he'd make a good burglar, so I wasn't alone. But that is seeded throughout the book. And it's seeded throughout the series because in the book Five Go Off in a Caravan, it is actually the fact that they are talented circus folk that makes them good burglars. Yes. So you are being conditioned by the books rather than making rash assumptions. Whew, thank goodness. The five return to their caravans and discuss the castle. And Dick says, it only costs five pence. We'll all have a good five pence worth of castle. I loved that bit. A good five pence worth of castle. Me too. I wanted to write it down as one of my sayings to go along with buck up with your bun and have another egg and forget about it. I think I will. I think you should. Because I know that feeling of when you've paid for something, you want to get your money's worth, don't you? So if you've gone to a museum, you want to make sure that you've seen all the things if you've spent a lot of money or whatever. Yeah. But just for comparison... So it costs 5p to get into the castle. And then do you remember in 5 Get Into Trouble when they're given money from Mr. Purton and he gives them £10? Yeah, That just shows what an incredible amount of money he gave them. Of course, yeah. Castle entrance is 5 pence. Yeah, and when they buy their ice creams as well, I think they're usually just a few pence. Gosh, he gave them all mm. that money and they just didn't take it. Gave it to Aggie. Good. Oh, they did, didn't they? Oh, Bless them. She's a millionaire now. She's a millionaire. Good. She can go <laughs> off and be free somewhere else. <laughs> in my notes, I wrote, Julian, because he's in his 40s, <laughs> buys a newspaper. If you don't know what that's in reference to, listen to our last episode when we discussed the illustrations of yeah, Julian. Yeah, I mean, or just perhaps crack open any famous five book and just have a look through until you see a 40-year-old man, and if it doesn't have facial hair, it's not a villain, and therefore it is Julian. Often in a shirt and tie for no reason. at breakfast. (laughs) We've got to get a big day in at the office. (laughs) (laughs) And in the newspaper, there's more information about the scientists. George wants to know why Julian thought Uncle Quentin could be one of them, and Julian was worried Uncle Quentin had been kidnapped again. That bit I put a note in because it says, um, George says to Julian, whatever in the world made you think my father could be one of the vanished scientists? And I put a note in saying, because that would be a typical plot. Yeah, absolutely. Not that they know they live in a story, but um, yeah, I mean, that that's perfect. You know, if Uncle Quentin got kidnapped. It's not beyond the realms of imagination. The scientists are Derek, Terry Kane and Jeffrey Pottersham. And they've been missing for two days. Didn't seem like a kidnap. Uncle Quentin worked with Terry Kane, so would be furious if he was a traitor. In chapter Mm. four, the next day they go for a walk and buy supplies at a farm and each eat a pickled onion on the way home. (laughs) This was my favourite bit of the story, I think. They see the fair folk arriving. They stop to look at the nearest caravan and see a box that Timmy barks at. A voice shouts to get away from the snakes, and they do, struggling to get Timmy away. They watch as the man calms his snakes and then shouts at them. They watch the rest from their caravan and eat. I got into a sort of a subplot to the series, which I invented myself, but I'd like to share with you. So when the snake man, when they first see the snakes come out of the box and there's all this description, um, A great head reared itself out of the box and swung itself from side to side. 
two unblinking dark eyes gleamed, and then a long, long body writhed out and glided up the man's legs, round his waist and round his neck. He fondled it, talking in a low, caressing voice. And I put a note in saying, parcel tongue? Oh. A Harry Potter reference. And then, as I went on through the book, I thought, Uncle Quentin is a scientist who's very secretive and we this is our 11th book and we're constantly told he's a scientist but we've got no idea what he does and a lot of his experiments are weird and not related to each other and I thought he's not a scientist he's a wizard and he's keeping it a secret from them and more so this is towards the end of the book um but I knew you know I'm hoping everybody's read it so it's not going to give it away but when Uncle Quentin comes he comes the day that he's received the message about terry kane being here at the fairground and he just arrives out of thin air because he's a wizard he just teleported there and he's really particular about his study and he doesn't want the children in there and that's because it's full of magic artifacts so he's a wizard desperately trying to keep it you know secret because as we know, sometimes the children are massive blabbermouths. And also probably Aunt Fanny doesn't know. And, uh, yeah, subplot, wizardry. For those of you who had placed a bet on Jen going mad at book 11, collect your money from famousfivepod.bet.com. <laughs> it's not madness, it just makes Absolutely. sense. It's a good headcanon. Uh, now, that, now that I know this exists, this uh, wizard subplot. I'm going to look out for it more. Okay, well, you keep us posted. I will. In the meantime, I'll read to you about pickled onions. Oh, yes. Please. Anne had got ready a light supper for them, a ham sandwich each, a piece of fruitcake and an orange. I'll have a pickled onion with my sandwich, please, said Dick. Mm-hmm. I'll chop it up and put it in with the ham. What wonderful ideas I do have, to be sure. <sighs> well done, Dick. Well done. He does have wonderful ideas. That is a great idea. And also, uh, skipping ahead a little bit, but I do have a note in just right at the start of the next chapter, um, which I titled Dick Has a Problem. And this is, Anne's made them some sandwiches. These are jolly good sandwiches, Anne, said Dick. What about another pickled onion, everyone? (laughs) No, Dick, said Anne firmly. You've eaten your sandwich. Well, I can eat a pickled onion without a sandwich, can't I, said Dick? Hand over, Anne. Anne wouldn't. I've hidden them, she said. You want some for tomorrow, don't you? Don't be greedy, Dick. Have a biscuit if you're still hungry. He's not still hungry, Anne. He's got a pickled onion problem and he wants a pickled onion. (laughs) But she did well to not. She staged a pickled onion intervention. She did, yeah. I also like a bit earlier uh, where she... She says that he shouldn't be allowed to carry them home because there won't be any left if he's in charge of holding them. So he dishes out all the pickled onions on the way, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Let's all have a pickled onion as we walk. Let's have pickled onions for this. Oh, well, you know what they say, pickled onion for oh. the road. Yeah, why not? That's why he's always in such high spirits. In chapter five, Julian sums up exactly why the fair folk wouldn't like children by describing exactly what they did i.e. being nosy in the snake box. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's bedtime, and Timmy is a bit confused. They haven't gotten upstairs. Oh, no. And at this point, I'd just like to mention my darling nephew, Henry, who 
at the time was three, he's now big four. And he came to our flat and about an hour in, he turned to my fiancé and said, Mike, you haven't gotten upstairs. And it turns out he'd never been in a flat before, so we had to explain that it's all on one level. There are stairs, but people live upstairs and he just couldn't get his head around it. Bless him. The next morning, Dick is frying bacon and eggs. This is the first time I think anybody's cooked that wasn't Anne. Any of the five, I mean. Wow, it... It's the pickled onions, I think. He's gone a bit mad. He's trying to get in Anne's good book so that she'll give him the secret to where the onions are hidden. No, I know what it was. He was ransacking the food to try and find the pickled onions. And when someone was like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just going to prepare breakfast. But actually, he was looking for pickled onions. (laughs) Oh, Dick. They see the fire eater, exactly as Dick had imagined, and his little wife, who they assume is bossed around by him. And I've written, and thus starts a long-running gag about how she really isn't. I know, that just goes on and on, doesn't it? And then the boys boss the girls around by ordering all of the things. Because the girls are going to go off to the shop, and they're like, oh, could you get this, and get that, and get a newspaper, and... Oh, of course they do, don't they? They just, and this, and this, and this. And notice Dick doesn't ask for more pickled onions, and that's because he did find the stash that morning. Yeah, and he's going to eat them whilst the girls are away. Yeah, he's hidden them in his bunk and some of his pockets <laughs> and things just everywhere. Hidden, That's not hidden good. Can you imagine what the caravan smells like later? <laughs> oh, no. Julian says, you know, I think we probably need to have a wash. We, I think we smell a bit. And Dick's like, no, 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 but it's actually just because there are onions everywhere, hidden <laughs> everywhere. In chapter six, the boys fetch water and watch Buffalo as he whips a cigarette from his wife's Skippy's hand. Buffalo shouts at them, and Mr. India Rubber says no kids allowed in the field. Julian says they are allowed, and they couldn't move their vans anyway as they have no horses. Then Mr. India Rubber essentially attacks the boys, knocking them flat. Mm. They see the fire eater being chased by his wife. They're feeling very unwelcome, so they go to meet the others off the bus. Yeah, Julian um, has a little point to make. I marked this down as him uh, having quite a progressive point of view but um after they're abused by the fair folk julian says well perhaps it's just a case of us folk and you folk there's a lot of that kind of feeling about these days and it's so silly we're all the same under the skin we've always gotten well with anyone before Mm. Mm, maybe you can be friends with them julian maybe you can in chapter seven aunt fanny has written them a letter she says uncle quentin is upset about Terry Kane and is sure he's not a traitor, believing him and Pottersham have been forced to tell their secrets. The newspaper claims Pottersham was in the pay of an unfriendly country. They look at the photos of the two men and label them bad eggs. Dick suggests that Terry Kane could cut off his eyebrows and use them as a moustache disguise. (laughs) They get on a bus to the seaside and chat with the fishermen. They ask if it's possible to hire a boat and they say old Joseph could hire them a boat sometime, as he hired out one the other day. The fishermen say that the fair folk aren't friendly anymore since someone called the police on them. They return to Fainite's castle, and the caravans have gone. <gasps> By the way, I'd forgotten that they were told that they could hire a boat, because when all that happened, it was sort of such a big section, and I still wasn't sure you know, when the real adventure of the book was going to take off. Because what this is chapter seven, and we still haven't started the adventure. But I thought they were going to get a boat later on. 
And I've just remembered now, you saying that, that they didn't. They never went back to the boatyard. Well, they didn't have time. No, that's true. But I think also that scene was to add suspicion on the fair folk and also mention a boat had been hired out to somebody. Of course, because that is important later, isn't it? Yep. In Chapter 8, Julian is at a loss. They plan to call the police but try to ask the fair folk. Eventually, Mr India Rubber shows them where the caravans are. They hitched horses and moved them to another field. The five can't do much about it, so they go to sleep. And they go to sleep, hoping that they won't get told off by the farmer in the morning. Begin Chapter 9. In Chapter 9, an angry farmer wakes them up and demands that they move. Julian says he'll confront the fair folk. Julian and Dick take Timmy with them and tell Alfredo, the fire eater, that if they don't move their caravans back, they will call the police. And then it's Buffalo's turn to attack them with a whip. Julian loses a few hairs. Then, from nowhere, Joe appears. She hugs Dick. Yay! Apparently, she'd gone to Kieran Cottage to see them, but when they weren't there, she'd hitched a ride to Faynite's castle to see her uncle, Uncle Alfredo. She suddenly realises there's tons of animosity and she tells the fair folk the children are her friends. As Julian and Dick return to the caravans to tell the others that Joe is here, they see Joe and Alfredo coming along with horses. Wonderful. Good job, Joe. Yeah, and and then there was lots of yelling, it turns out. Joe says that she yelled at everybody and the five weren't sure she really did. Joe says, didn't you hear me? I yelled like anything at Uncle Fredo. Then his wife, my Aunt Anita, she yelled at him too. And then we both yelled at everyone. All of the yelling. <laughs> All the yelling. Gets the job when done. When in doubt, just, just yell. So then they take the caravans back to the field and the horses back to Alfredo who apologises. And Julian says they'll be leaving the next day. Joe tells them to stay as the snake man is polite and so is Buffalo. But Julian has made up his mind. Unless, of course, anything unexpected happens i know i know and i mean will it how how can we even know we're only halfway through the book and like nothing's really happened yet so will something exciting happen we've still got to see a face at the window this was when julian annoyed me a bit um because it mentions a lot uh so it says here julian was curiously obstinate about it and that's with them leaving the next day And even when the other children try and say, well, everybody's being nice to us now, you know, we could stay, it's going to be all right, he won't change his mind on it. And it's not ever explained why. And I thought, is it because perhaps his pride has just been a little bit damaged? Which, I mean, fair enough. But I did think it was a bit unfair on the other children to just say, no, we're going to go, we're going to go, we're going to go. Yeah, maybe he feels that he should have been able to sort it out rather than Joe coming in and sorting it out on his behalf. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, in chapter 11, that evening they sit listening and watching birds. Dick borrows George's field glasses to see a heron eat a frog. (laughs) Dick looks up at the castle and something makes his heart jump. He tells Julian to look at the window. Julian says it's a trick of the light. George has a look but just sees an empty window but they both saw a face, a desperate face with pronounced eyebrows. Terry Kane has big eyebrows. They try to spot the face again. Julian suggests they visit the castle the next day. They're going to stay a little longer. Now Fredo invites them for supper. So the adventure's finally going to begin in chapter 11. And there was a sweet bit at the start 
I like it when they talk about what the birds say. This has happened before. For example, the chaffinch says, chip, 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 cherry, airy, airy, chippy, ooh, ee, ah, apparently. And the chaffinch flies down and sits on Anne's knee for a moment. And it says she sat, sat still, really thrilled. And then Timmy growled and made it fly away because he was jealous. But I wrote, she's the animal whisperer. And then I thought, Anne, the animal whisperer. She's the animal whisperer, which works better written down. A-N-N-E hyphen I-M-A-L whisperer. (laughs) (laughs) That or she's a Disney princess. Yeah, I mean, she probably is. That's why she does all the chores that animals help her. The little birdies (laughs) and squirrels and things. She's like, don't worry, guys, I'll do this. I like playing house. As soon as they're out of earshot, like, oh, poor old Anne just cleaning up. She's like, and all the birds just fly in and do everything. Charming. In chapter 12, Alfredo eats fire for them and they meet one of the snakes and Skippy sings a song. They all have stew, including Timmy. They head back. Joe is enjoying camp life again and wants to sleep under a caravan. That night, Anne and George see a face at the window, but it's just a horse. That was a brilliant, weird little plot point. Uh, And I really enjoyed in this chapter Anne's reaction to the snakes. I put in a note saying, I am Anne. When Joe is showing how she sits with the snake and puts him around her neck and things. And it says, George watched in unwilling admiration. Anne had removed herself as far from Joe as possible. The boys gazed in astonishment. And I, yeah, I I would be as far away from that as possible because I, I like the idea of snakes, but I am a bit frightened of them when they're near to me. But actually, it turns out that I was Timmy in that section because he's run away and doesn't come back until the snakes have gone to bed. <laughs> I would be with you on that, I think. Not a big fan. In chapter 13, it's the next morning and Joe helps Mr. Slither clean his snakes and George helps too. Buffalo shows the boys some whip tricks and mentions that he also throws knives. The children head to the castle, but Timmy is not allowed in. They pay and get a guidebook which says that the remaining tower had a staircase which has now fallen in, meaning they couldn't have seen a face at the window, but they want to check. In chapter 14, they approach the only good tower, but the wall has fallen in. There are no stairs. Julian asks the lady if there is a better floor plan. She points to the guest book. Society for Preservation of Old Buildings, he read. Oh, did somebody come from them lately? Would they know more than it says in the guidebook? Yes, said the old lady. Two men came. They spent all day here, last Thursday. You ask that society what you want to know. Not me. I only take the money. Thanks, lady. They go to look at the outside of the tower. Joe offers to climb it, but Dick stops her. Suddenly, Timmy is there. Somehow he got in through the thick walls. The lady kicks them out, and so they go for donuts and lemonade. You can tell as the years progress, they wouldn't have had donuts in the first book. No, that's true. But you can tell, because we're in the 50s now when she's writing. Yeah. Yeah, just certain foods get mentioned that definitely weren't in sort of the earlier books. Yeah. Julian phones the society. They haven't been to Faynite's Castle for two years. <gasps> Do you know what that that reminded me of? Those old sort of hack ghost stories where... They've been shown round the old house by a housekeeper and then they meet somebody and go, there hasn't been a housekeeper here for 50 years. That is what it was like. 
Anyway, the others stared at him, feeling a familiar excitement rising in them, what George called the adventure feeling. Ooh. I like that. The adventure feeling. Yes. Usually arrives around chapter 14. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's usually a bit earlier, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure, because I'm pretty sure we've said before that nothing happens for quite a long time in some of the books. There was one especially, wasn't it, where it was like all the action was just in the last chapter, but... Yeah, I think that might have been the last one on the lake, five on a hike together. Yes. Anyway, Julian says he'll phone Uncle Quentin, and Joe is glad she's in the adventure. In chapter 15, Julian heads off to make the call, and the others do the shopping. They see the fair folk with shopping bags, and Joe says they must have made a lot of money in the last place they went to. Again, this is another subtle hint to something that isn't anything regarding the fact that in the last town somebody called the police on them in the last town they obviously made a lot of money referring to the tricks that they can pull it's really interesting because you don't often get that in the famous five that something is hinted at that you know a a red herring almost yeah julian returns late as uncle quentin is in london to tell the authorities that terry kane isn't a traitor george keeps an eye on the tower and sees the face They all take a turn and agree to go to the castle at night. You have to go at night. Um, In chapter 15, I did make a little note. uh, Dick being Dick. And that's when the rubber man shows them his some of his tricks. And it says, The rubber man obligingly wriggled in and out of the wheel spokes of his caravan. A most amazing feat. He also doubled himself up and twisted his arms and legs together in such a peculiar manner that he seemed to be more like a four-tentacled octopus than a human being. He offered to teach Dick how to do this, but Dick couldn't even bend himself properly double. He was disappointed because he couldn't help thinking what a marvellous trick it would be to perform in the playing field at school. Ah, yes. Very Dick, just wanting to have a new trick to do. Uh, But also, wasn't he a gymnast in the first book? Possibly. But also, any time he sees someone do some sort of skill like that, he often thinks, oh, I wish I could do that so I could show off at school. Yeah. I'm sure there was something else recently where he thought how much he'd like to do that. Yeah, and I, I think when they met some monkeys and he wanted to have some monkeys to show off at school. Almost certainly. He just, I mean, I feel like he's, he's destined for the stage, or at least some sort of performance. <laughs> We also find out a lot about snakes this chapter and uh, what to do when you pick up a poisonous snake. Very useful. Well, can I just stop you there? Because if it's poisonous, it doesn't matter if it bites you. Poison is ingested. You have to eat something if it's poisonous. If it's venomous, Uh... then you're in trouble. Venom is injected. Poison is ingested. Ah, so Ina Blyton wasn't sure about that, and I guess neither were the publishing house. I mean, it's not nice to be bitten by a poisonous snake, and any snake bite you need to go and treat. However, just to let you know that it's venom, you should be frightened of being injected. Poison is only a problem if you eat it. I mean, to be on the safe side, if you see a snake and you don't know what kind of snake it is, don't approach it. Just don't go near snakes, full stop. Yeah, that's probably for the best. Or anything that can bite you. Just stay in. Just stay indoors. It's probably for the best. (laughs) Just lock your door and listen to podcasts for the rest of your life. You'll be fine. You can live your life by looking out the window and watching TV. You will be fine. Yeah. In chapter 16, 
In the dark, they climb up to the castle and watch as Timmy leaps into the hole in the wall. They follow him into the passageway. It's dark, but they all have torches except for Joe. And they are sure it must lead to the tower. In a little room, there's an old bench, a rusty dagger and a pitcher, but also there's a chocolate wrapper. <gasps> they continue until they find a locked door at the top of some steps. In chapter 17, inside the room, someone is snoring. They see it's Terry Kane. They can't see anyone else, but they see he's tied up. Julian wakes him, and Terry Kane says tomorrow his enemies plan to smuggle him out of the country. In this bit, I feel like there was a bit... I don't know if this was sort of an unnecessary comment. You can tell me how you feel. So Julian asks, are you Mr. Terry Kane? And he is. And he says, but how do you know who I am? We read about you in the papers, said Julian, and we saw your picture. We couldn't help noticing your eyebrows, sir. We even saw them through the glasses. Was that completely necessary? Do you know, for once, that does sound something like what a 13-year-old would say. Oh, my goodness. Or a child. Yeah, he is only 13, isn't he? Don't you Yes. Think? Well, I, I mean, he hasn't aged in the last few books because she's Enid Blyton has now stopped mentioning how old they are. Oh, of course she has, isn't she? But... You know, he's usually incredibly mature, but that does sound something like... Yeah, that's something a child would say. How did you know who I was? Oh, because we saw your eyebrows in the newspaper. Because we saw your eyebrows. <laughs> Joe hears the noise and leaves the room to investigate, but then cannot return as a man is already at the door. The man is Pottersham. He locks them all in and goes to get fresh orders. Joe tries to unlock the door, but Pottersham must have taken the key. Joe doesn't have a torch. So they tell her to wait till morning to get help. And Joe goes to find the bench to sleep on. And carefully she goes down the steps. In chapter 18, Joe is in the dark and is caught by Pottersham. She bites him but cannot escape and he ties her up. The hostaging, if that's a word, which I know it isn't, the hostage situation in this book is absolutely unacceptable, by the way. Um, you know, we Agreed. always joke that when you're keeping people hostage you know make sure they're comfortable and they've got food and water but he's Pottersham said to the children in the previous chapter and and Terry Kane well you'll be here with no food or water until tomorrow when we come and get you and then here it says when he ties her up her hands were tied behind her back her legs were tied at knees and ankles she rolled about the floor, calling the man all the names she knew. Well, you're safe for the time being, said Pottersham. Now I'm going. I wish you joy on the hold card floor in the darkness. How awful. So he's just leaving this little girl tied up on a hard floor and it's cold. And she has nothing to eat or drink. He knows he's not going to be back till tomorrow. And what happens if anybody needs the toilet? Well, here's my thought. And that is that a traitor is the worst kind of criminal. Now, that's not necessarily my opinion, but at the time, that probably was the opinion of a lot of people. Ah, uh, okay. Traitors are worse than people that rob houses. Thieves and, yeah, robbers and... And so yeah. he's portrayed as the worst of the lot of them. Ah, and he is truly the worst. And who were the others that kept food from the children? The sticks. In Five Run Away Together, the child kidnappers. Oh, yeah. Again, almost certainly considered a worse kind of criminal than a thief or a robber or, you know, or a yeah. diamond smuggler or whatever. 
Just a thought. Nothing, no proof to back that up, but I wonder if that is the reasoning. I wonder. So we are with Jo, and she is tied up, and after an age and a little nap, she remembers what the rope man taught her and starts to work on the knots. As she struggles, she knocks the rusty dagger off the table. Mm. Very useful. She frees herself and escapes, heading straight to her uncle. But she sees a man at the camp, a stranger that she thinks is Pottersham. The fur folk tell her he's a scientist and he's been asking all about the children. And she says he's a bad man. Did you know who this was at this point? Yeah, I was going to say, we all guessed that that was Uncle Quentin, didn't we? Yes, I was just checking. Oh, yeah. But I bet when you're eight and you're reading this, you don't. Well, it it turned out it was one of the only things in the book that I did guess right because I was so off track with who the villain was going to be. Absolutely. Yeah, so I, I followed all the wrong clues and everything else. And then with this, I thought, well, I just thought, oh, I bet it is Uncle Quentinson. That's funny. And especially when he got tied up and they threatened him with the snake, I thought it's, you know, he's just going to be there overnight. And then tomorrow they'll be like, oh, sorry, Uncle Quentin. <laughs> And in chapter 19, that very thing happens. He's locked in the van with one of Mr. Slither's snakes. They decide to do the rescue at night. They try to get the key from the scientist, but he doesn't seem to have it. Can't think why. I know. Joe is told she won't be part of the rescue. So when it's dark, she follows the men who are equipped with a rope ladder, a whip, and a python. Everything you need for a successful rescue, right? Well, it turns out yes, actually. The python is an excellent thing to take with you for, yeah, I mean, any any sort of excursion ever, I think, not even just a rescue. Just I want to now go everywhere with a the python. They use a rope to scale the wall. Joe, too, who's in trouble for being there. Then she hears a car and tries to tell the men, but they don't listen. Buffalo intends to throw his knife with the rope attached into the window. Joe is worried that the car men will get to the others before they could escape. In chapter 20, Joe decides she'll follow the men from the car into the castle. She drops Beauty the Python onto the floor and heads off. Beauty, the Python, was surprised to find himself pulled off and thrown to the ground, just before Joe ran for the wall. He wasn't used to that sort of treatment. He lay there, coiling and uncoiling himself. Where had that nice girl gone? Beauty liked Joe. She knew how to treat him. Sometimes we get little bits of how Timmy's feeling, but it's nice to have a little bit of how Beauty was feeling. I liked that too. Um, I liked all of that bit. And when he decides that he's going to follow her and he's all pleased because she's gone in through a hole and he goes in with her and she says to him, you know, go back. I've got important things to do. And then it says, but Beauty was not like Timmy. He obeyed only when he thought he would. And he was not going to obey this time. (laughs) I was really into this and I actually wrote a note here and it says famous five plus Joe and beauty equals. And I realized this is the start of the secret seven. Of course. (laughs) So now it's going to be five children, a dog and a Python running around solving mysteries. No, it's a dog, a Python, a girl, two tomboys, a boy and a 40 year old man. (laughs) I mean, even better. He can drive them around in their mystery machine or whatever it is they decide to have. I think you found your gang of children to solve mysteries for your next set of novels, Jan. Yes. Yeah, some kiddos, a dog and a python. I want a python everywhere now. 
I look forward to them. I need a python. Okay, we'll see if we can sort that out for you. Yes. If anybody's got a python that Jen can have, email us, famousfivepod at gmail.com. And it has to be a really clever python, like Beauty, because um, in the lease that my apartment I live in, there's a really strict note saying no um, aquarium or vivarium animals of any sort. So um, it will have to be a collapsible vivarium and my python will have to know to hide. Bear that in mind when you're sending me your python. It has to be a clever one. Joe and Beauty head to the locked room and she hears Buffalo throwing his knife. It finally lands into the room with the children. They realise it's Buffalo's knife and they pull the ladder up, attaching it securely into the room. And as Julian is about to go down, the door opens. Chapter 21. Pottersham bursts into the room with some men and a gun and threatens to shoot Timmy. He says they're taking Terry Kane and a child as a hostage and grabs Dick. And even though Dick lands a good punch, he's grabbed by another man. They're going to lock the others in and leave a note for the turnstile lady. But no food or water, as previously discussed. But suddenly, Buffalo comes in the window. He flicks his whip and up goes Pottersham's gun and into Buffalo's hand. Suddenly, the moon goes behind a cloud and the men flee, locking them in once more. Julian, Anne and George climb down. Timmy is lowered down again and the rest climb down. No one knows where Joe and Beauty are. They can hear lots of shouting from the men. In chapter 22, Pottersham and the men exit the room and are being terrorised by beauty. Probably my favourite part of the entire book. It's obviously Joe's set the python on them and uh, the men are all, you know, running around and she says, Beauty, now it's your turn to do something. And he just is amazing. I love him. It says... He glided towards the men who were now coming out of the gallery. After that, the python had the time of his life. The more the men howled, the more excited the big snake became. He's amazing. I love beauty. The men return to the top room and Joe locks them in. Their only escape would be down the ladder to the fair folk below. Joe gets back to the others and explains. Terry Kane goes to the police. And suddenly Joe realises that if she's locked Pottersham in the tower room, who is the scientist locked in the caravan? Uh-oh. It's Uncle Quentin. In chapter 23, Julian explains and says Terry Kane's gone to the police. Uncle Quentin arrived after Aunt Fanny gave him the message about the face at the window. They eat by the campfire, telling their tales in turns. Terry Kane and the police arrive and ask if someone will lead the way, and Joe offers. The others head to bed and sleep in late. And I've just put as a little note, where does Uncle Quentin sleep? Um... In Has with... he got a hotel? No, he sleeps in with Alfredo and Anita. I can't imagine that happening ever. They have a big bed because Alfredo is so big, so there's room for a third one, and they just all top and tail and tell ghost stories and things. And Terry Kane is in there as well? Oh, uh, Terry Kane sleeps in with... Who would Terry Kane be friends with? Uh, Mr. India Rubber. Because he's very polite, so he rolls himself up into like a little ball and he sleeps on a cushion and he lets Terry Kane um, have his bed so he's comfortable after being in that horrible cell. Fair enough. Thank you for that. You're welcome. The next morning, Uncle Quentin says he's going home. And did they want to go too? They don't want to. 
Goodbye, he said. What message shall I give your mother, George? She'll expect to hear something from the five of you. Well, shouted everyone as the bus rumbled off. Well, just tell her the five are having a wonderful time. Goodbye, Uncle Quentin. Goodbye. Bye. The end. The end. I think we sort of covered everything, don't you? It's a another one where it takes a long time to get started. There's a big setup, and we've talked about the red herring of the fair folk, and actually they're not any trouble. They come to the rescue. Mm. I think we've covered everything. Shall we move on? Let's. Okay. So this is a section where normally I give you some clips from the TV shows and sort of break down the episodes. But I'm going to be completely honest with you and tell you that I could not get through the 1990s version of uh, this episode. It's a two-parter, which made it feel even more of a challenge. And we've talked previously about the actor that played Julian, how he broke his leg. Well, this is the episode where it clearly had just happened. And so essentially, Julian's not in very much of the episode. He doesn't go to Knight's castle with the others. I believe in later scenes they communicate over the phone, but I didn't get that far, unfortunately. If you want to watch it, Uh, You can find it on YouTube. And also, I should have been saying the last couple of times that I've got quite a lot of information from a website called worldofblighton.wordpress.com where they've actually reviewed the TV shows and that's where the information about Marco Williamson's broken leg came from. They're really good blogs. They uh, review each episode. It's really interesting to read. So definitely check them out. And... Usually, after I've watched the episode, I'll go and read them. But with this one, I couldn't. I just couldn't. So, you give it a try and see if you can. I can tell you that the 1970s version doesn't have Joe, which is a shame. And they cut out a lot from the beginning of the fair folk not being friendly. In fact, when George is poorly... She gets taken to Knight's Castle by Rogers, the gardener, slash driver, slash handyman that lives at Kieran Cottage that I think we've encountered before. And he's the one that encroaches on the fair folk's land and they sort of pick on him and the five come running up saying, no, he's a friend, he's a friend. Okay. Also, having watched that episode so many times, and I think I'd only read the book once, I thought that Terry Kane was the man's full name. I didn't realise he was Terry Kane was his surname because they always referred to him as Professor Terry Kane. So I thought, oh, that's his name rather than Professor Derek Terry Kane. But it's quite an enjoyable story. I think it's a one episode deal, so it's twenty five minutes, but but yeah, sorry, I just couldn't cope with the nineties version. That's funny. I've got a bit of information about uh, the Famous Five Club, which we can have instead of clips. So the book I'm reading this time is The 13th Impression of this book by Hodder and Stalton. And it was printed in 1978. And it's a tie-in with the 70s show, actually. So it's got some nice pictures on the front and back of the children from the TV show. And after the story, there's a section about the Famous Five Club, and it's so sweet. Do you belong to the Famous Five Club? Have you got the Famous Five badge? There are friends of the Famous Five all over the world. 
Wear the Famous Five badge and you will know each other at once. If you would like to join the club, send a 15 pence postal order or postage stamps, but no coins please, with a stamped envelope addressed to yourself, inside an envelope addressed to Famous Five Club. I won't read you the address in case people listen to this and think they should send 15 pence postal order or postage stamps. Don't do that. It's probably not still running. And then it says you shall have your badge as soon as possible and a letter telling you about the Famous Five Club. Any profit made by the club will go to help and comfort children in hospital. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm just having a look on eBay and Mm -hmm. somebody was selling a Famous Five original badge, but only for £7. So, you know, and that, that was a couple of years ago. So, but yeah, I bet you could still get your hands on one if you wanted. Brilliant. And if you wear it, you will know other friends of the Famous Five at once, like a secret club. Absolutely. But I'm not sure when the actual club disbanded. Because I have a feeling that if it was around when I was reading the books, my mum would have joined it on my behalf. It doesn't sound like you get much more than the badge and a letter telling you about the Famous Five. That's all right. I would have enjoyed that. Because you only send one envelope and there's not a subscription fee. But yeah, that'd be all right. A badge, 15 pence. Do you remember when you could send a postal order? I do, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you still can, but in a world of PayPal, it's not really practical. Remember the days when you'd have a competition on TV and it would be literally answers yes. on a postcard and you would write your answer and your name on a postcard and send it to Blue Peter yeah. or whatever. And also, like, radio shows. Every single radio show now has text in, email in, tweet in. And what used to happen? People used to write letters, I suppose. Yeah. It's mad. Yeah, yeah it's so instant now. Crazy. Our modern world. Oh, Helena really liked that song. <laughs> it was a good one. Thank you. Yeah, she is just like chilling on the bed while I'm recording this. And when I sang that, she did a very nice little roll to express her joy at that. Woo-hoo. Thank you, Helena. You are one of my biggest fans and I love you. So what have we learned? from five on a hike together field glasses save lives especially if they're very nice ones the national trust has improved a lot although it's got more expensive than just 5p to visit a castle Mm. don't litter modern wrappers in castles if you're in hiding don't touch a snake (laughs) i've actually written don't touch a snake with a still tongue like with your with your still tongue No, make sure your tongue is always moving when you touch a snake. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I meant. and I don't like that. (laughs) And unless you're Alfredo, do not eat fire. Even he'll tell you that. He really, really doesn't want anybody to eat fire, including his wife or anybody. Nobody else is allowed to eat fire. Is he frightened that they'll find out that it's easy to do? Although I don't think it is easy to do. That was the feeling I got. He doesn't want to be replaced, so it's best if he makes it seem hard and awful. Yeah, and at the same time, maybe a little bit of health and safety. But I think there should be other things. If you're worried about health and safety, 
of children copying what's in the books. Climbing castle walls and things like that is more likely to happen than trying to eat fire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Going down a a secret tunnel is a bit more likely. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Or the list of things that are more likely than trying to eat fire at home is pretty long. I'll probably try sleeping underneath a caravan on a hot night first. Uh, and then I'll go on to touching a snake. And then sort of like right at the end of the list, I'll be swallowing fire. I think I'll begin with pickled onion in a ham sandwich. Oh, that sounds brilliant. <laughs> I'll have to do that when I wake up after my night under the caravan. Okay, good idea. This is where we choose a hero of the book, and we can't. I struggled. Yeah, it was it was just hard to call. I wanted to give it to Jo, yeah. but we've previously decided, actually in the last book she was in, that we couldn't give it to a non-famous five. So actually, I've got a list of honorary heroes uh, featuring my favourite City Lenoir Cecil Dearlove's in there Mr Luffy Mr Luffy uh, for book 9 it was Ragamuffin Joe and for book 11 it's no longer a Ragamuffin Joe no just Joe so what we thought we'd do was open the voting for you really and if you've read Five Have a Wonderful Time you get to pick your own hero so what we'll do is we'll ask you on Twitter. I was going to put up a poll, but actually... You're only allowed four um, answers. Yeah, there's going to be five options. So we'll just ask it as a question, and then you can just reply. You can also send us an email, famous5pod at gmail.com. And if you want to, you can just write the name of the person. You know, don't feel obliged to write an introduction or anything like that. And on the next episode... We'll tell you if there's any results. Brilliant. So, Katie, what can we expect next time? Next time, Jen, when five go down to the sea, we're going to be joined by friend of the podcast, Charlie Revel-Smith. Yay! Oh, good. That's brilliant. Charlie joined us way back for five go off to camp yeah book seven so months and months ago absolutely so we can't wait for that episode no wonderful really looking forward to it in the meantime you can follow us on twitter at famous five pod you can visit our website www.famous5pod.wordpress.com and remember that i am hashtag team george i'm hashtag team Anne. Uh, with shades of dick and this week also I found out I was a little bit timmy so but Anne, Anne in my core (laughs) what team are you? we are always interested in hearing so if you do decide to email or tweet with your hero for the book and you haven't previously told us which team you are feel free to pop it in absolutely and with that we'll see you next time see you next time thanks for listening Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Famous Five podcast. And please join us next month for more adventures. Goodbye.